listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, New Chapel. Welcome to part two of our series that we are calling Abundance. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Joe Bevilacqua. I am the lead pastor here at New Chapel. And that's right. Every other church in Grand Rapids is pastored by two Dutch guys. You have two Italian men at the helm. In the name of Jesus. Trying to add some flavor. If you think windmill cookies are spicy... We're going to be starting a small group this Wednesday. Ushers, you can come forward. I have a free gift for you for every person in the room right now. Please only take one. Some of you are like, well, I'm going to take three because my son will be an adult in five years. No, for all the adults, we have a book. It's, it's a copy of The Blessed Life. You can pass that out straight away. Free book to you because here's what we heard. Last week, people said, Pastor Joe, uh, I'll be honest, I was a little bit uh, apprehensive about the series when preachers talk about money, you know. But last week was so value-adding. I heard that from so many people that it helped to understand what you convert biblically. Is this okay? And I thought, man, we need to go deeper. And so we got an incredible deal on these books, and we're passing that on to you for free. This was paid for by the generous people here, the partners here at New Chapel. But one thing we are doing for those that would like to do this, we are having a small group this Wednesday. Everybody say Wednesday. So this is not going to be a small group, small group. This is going to be a mid-sized group. And here's what a mid-sized group is. It's not going to be 10, 12 people. It's going to be 30, 50 people. And the idea with it is a lot of us, uh, we're enjoying the messages. We're going deeper, but we want to go deeper still. We want to find out more about what God has to say. So if you're in a financial pinch, if you're struggling, or if you're a person that's like, I just feel like there's meat on the bone, and, and I want to go deeper. I want you to be with me. I'm going to be there this Wednesday. We're going to start this group. You have to understand what a big deal this is. I am a systems guy. I'm a little CDO, which is OCD in alphabetical order. For me to start a group halfway through a small group semester, you know it has to be the Lord, okay? And so if you want to be there, there's no sign up. Just show up. It's going to be a great group. Everybody say, uh-huh. uh-huh. If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, things that the book is going to be handed out to you. So if they didn't give one to you, it's because they don't think you're an adult. And so just, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Groups here, right in this room. Groups here, Wednesday. That's a demerit over on that side of the room, and we're watching you. You know, things can feel fairly awkward when preachers begin to talk about money. People get a little bit tense with it. But I'm here to say to you today that talking about abundance, talking about money, finances, it is a part of discipleship. And because there have been a lot of preachers that have been afraid to talk about this, we have a United States of America, the greatest country in the world, that's in a really tough spot financially. In fact, did you know that Jesus talked about money twice as much as he talked about heaven or hell? Twice as much. Did you know that 16 out of the 38 parables of Jesus Christ were about money and possessions? I found this very interesting. There are 500 verses about prayer in your Bible. Makes sense. Prayer is a big deal. 
There's 500 verses about faith. It makes a lot of sense. The Bible says we can't even please God without faith. But there are over 2,000 verses about money and possessions. I know sometimes it makes us uncomfortable when the preacher talks about fine. But if I did it the way Jesus did it, it'd be about once every six weeks we'd be kicking off a new series on finances. And what happened to Jesus' ministry? It exploded because he was dealing with what people were dealing with. And money's a big part of life. The Bible says money answereth all things. And how many have found out that the mortgage company doesn't want Bible verses? They want to check. They want to check. If you don't know that, if you're writing faith checks, just don't make them to New Chapel. (laughs) We're in financial chaos because we haven't bought into God's way. The U.S. household consumer debt profile, the average credit card debt, $14,000. Average mortgage debt, $202,000. Average student loan debt, $58,000. And that's not all the debt you are in, by the way. Those are just the three biggest categories. What do we look like as a whole? A $10.44 trillion in mortgage debt, $787 billion in credit card debt at 18% interest. $1.57 in student loan debt. The chaos that we're experiencing is because people have put pressure on churches and preachers, and preachers don't want to do it. They don't want to talk about money. So consequently, we're going the world's way in our economics, and and we, the people of our God, we're ignorant about what God has for our finances. We need to deal with this. Are you all with me? Now, I want to share with you today that God works through spiritual laws. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to write that down. God works through spiritual laws, and these spiritual laws are consistent. They are reliable. They are just as consistent and reliable as natural laws. What are those? Like gravity. I mean, you can trust gravity to be the same today as it will be tomorrow and and as it was 100 years ago. And in the same way, spiritual law works, and it's consistent. And there are people, even good people, that violate spiritual law, Christians. And when they violate spiritual law, they they reap negative consequences because it's law. If they don't understand, if we don't understand how God works in his word, what we're going to do is we're going to make a lot of assumptions. And there's a little limerick about that I can't say in church. But what you have to do is you have to say, God, I want to know what this law is. So today, the title of my message, if you are taking notes, is I'm going to give you the law of the hand. The law of the hand. Now, I had you open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to read three scriptures for you. They, they really are all on this, this concept, the spiritual law, this force of nature. Ecclesiastes 9, the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do. Everybody say the word whatever. Whatever your hand finds to do, what do you do? You do it with all of your might. Proverbs 10, the Bible says, he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent. Say that little phrase, hand of the diligent. One, two, three. The hand of the diligent makes rich. Well, Pastor Joe, I don't know about that. Listen, if you're getting tight, I'm reading the Bible. You're upset with, like, the Lord, not with me. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but out of the lazy, but the lazy man will be put into forced labor. Over and over and over again, the Bible emphasizes the hand, the hand, the hand, especially in Proverbs, but it's all through the scriptures. Now, 40 years ago, we had an explosion of teaching about the nature of God and about how God wants to bless you. 
And I thank God that, that every old community church on the corner is going to be talking about how God is a good God and the devil's a bad devil. 50 years ago, they weren't talking like that. And so I thank God for, for people understanding that God wants to bless you and, and they want to begin to speak the promises of God and stand on his word and, and, and listen to me. I'm a faith guy. I've banked my life on that truth. But the teaching on prosperity has gotten off, not because it's patently wrong. It's gotten off because of emphasis. They emphasize one part of it, and it makes you miss the other end of it. And so they'll say things like, well, you just, you just find a scripture and stand on the word of God. You call out, and money's just going to come walking to you and fill up your bank account. My friend, if that works for you, I will hire you on staff in Jesus' name. <laughs> From my study of the Bible, it doesn't work. From my experience in life, I've talked to money and it just looks at me, okay? That's not how it works. And when we emphasize just the speaking, we miss out on the other end. Now, I want to give you balance. The Bible says that it is the hand, not the mouth of the diligent that shall bear rule. And so Proverbs 12, here's the balance. A man will be satisfied with the good fruit of his mouth. He will. And, everybody say the word and. And the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. So you should not speak negative things over your finances. Oh, we're never going to get out of debt. I'm never going to get ahead. I don't know how we're ever going to get out of this mess. Don't say those type of things. You need to say things like, my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. You need to say that. You need to say that, that God has enriched me in all ways that I should have enough for every good work. You need to speak life. But that's not it. You can do all the speaking in the world, and all that makes is a poetry slam. You, you need to put your hand to it, because the Bible says, in the second part of Proverbs 12, 14, the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. It is ultimately what you put your hand to that will cause you to prosper. Write it down. Blessing comes from the doing, not just the talking. Write that down. How many of y'all have worked at a job and you're working with somebody and it's a big project? Maybe it's manual labor in a season of your life you're doing and you're, you're working hard and you're right next to Mr. Blabbermouth. All he wants to do is, can you just pick up a shovel and shut to the up in Jesus' name? Like, work? It is more than just the talk. And I'm a faith guy. Speak life. I believe. Do it. You'll fuel what you're doing with your hand. But if you do one or the other, you're going to miss part of the pie. Say amen, somebody. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you a little bit of theology, some Bible about this concept of the law of the hand. And then what I'm going to do is give us one big application and some different vignettes of what that might look like for us. But I want to give you some Bible on this. Proverbs 12. The Bible says this, Proverbs 12 and 11, who, who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. What is the Bible saying here? Throughout uh, every generation and the generations, there have been people who will try to advocate to you shortcuts. These are people you need to avoid. They will try to share with you that there's some easy way to make money, that, that you don't have to work diligently like everybody else. Like the Bible says that there are shortcuts, and when there are shortcuts, you have to ask what you are cutting. And I've seen these people do it. And, and I am all about multi-level marketing. I think everything they've done out in Ada Lowell is great. We wouldn't be Grand Rapids without that. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about certain people that have pyramid schemes. 
And here's what I've seen with these people. They've, come, they've even talked to me. This has gotten into the church. And what they say is, oh, Pastor Joe, if I can just get into your church and I'll make you the head friend of this little chapter, think of the pyramid we could build off from all these people. And over the years, it's been different things. At first, they were trying to sell us water purifiers. And then if you're old, maybe you remember this, discount phone cards. You remember that? Gosh, teenagers look at me like, what? Today, it's snake oil patches and the like. And let me tell you something. I'm not going to do that to you. God has not called me to be in a business relationship with you, to profit off from you. God's called me to preach the word to you. Can I hear an amen? That's what God's called me to do. So you don't follow people that are these schemy people, scheming to get ahead. Be weary of get-rich-quick schemes. It will lead you to loss. And what I've seen with the schemy component of all this is it's typically just the head Fred that makes any amount of money. It costs normal, everyday people a lot, and it's people that are putting their hope in something else. Write this down. Scheming for quick money, it doesn't work in the long term. Even if you get a little bit of money in your pocket, you won't keep it because you'll think that the world actually works that way. And the ultimate result is you'll have a bad name. The Bible says a good name is better than riches. Proverbs 13, the Bible says, Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. What is that saying? When you work hard to get something, you're going to take better care of it. You're going to appreciate it more. You're going to be more grateful for it. When it's easy come... I can hear the words of my father. Easy come. Next point. Write this down. Proverbs 12 and verse 24. We read it before. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put into forced labor. I hear often uh, people when they're going through financial stress, they'll come to me and say, Pastor Joe, if I could just get ahead, if I could be a manager, if I could be a supervisor. And I'll tell you, if you're going to be diligent, if you're going to be a hard worker, these are the kind of people that will get promoted into supervisor roles. But I found this. Write this down. The path to being a supervisor starts with you supervising you. If you can't manage you, you don't, we don't want you. Let me, I'm going to speak for the room. I think I'm okay doing this. We don't want you in leadership. Let me tell you what you look like in your leadership when you don't know how to supervise you, but you want to be the manager. You look like that person on 131 driving in the left lane. It's called the passing lane. Passing, passing. That's a 30-second moment of your life. It's not the fast lane. Get that out of your head. That's crazy. It's the person who's passing one mile an hour, and they're like, what? I'm going fast. That person needs to be harpooned off the expressway. Just because you have hundreds of people behind you doesn't make you a leader. I sense you've worked for that guy before. You're a bottleneck. You're holding everybody back. And so you want to be a supervisor, supervise you. That's how you're going to get ahead. That one's free, everybody. You need to learn to anticipate the needs of your employer. I remember back when I was in Bible college, I wanted to be a pastor so bad I couldn't see straight. And there was a great ministry. My wife was going to a different Bible college across town. We lived in Tulsa, and uh, we weren't married yet. And so she uh, found out about a job at this church and said, hey, you should apply. And I said, oh, man, I could be a pastor. She said, no, it's, it's media and marketing and graphics. Well, if you don't know my background, that's, that's my world. I came from design world. I, I came from designing videos and graphics, the whole world. Still do it. And, uh, and so uh, she encouraged me to apply. I said, okay, I wanted a job in ministry so bad I couldn't see straight. So I applied and, uh, and got the job. 
And even though I wanted to do something else, I, I was like, God, you got my, my foot in the door in ministry. I'm happy. I'm grateful. And so I did my job well, never compromised on the videographic work. In fact, exceeded their expectations, but I had my eyes open. The pastor that I was working for, every single week, he'd be looking for people to help him. It would be different tasks around the church. In some instances, it was like, can you help me with my message? I need to externalize my thoughts. In other things, it would be like a hospital visit. And I was Johnny on the spot. I wasn't paid for any of that type of work, but at the same time, I wanted to be that, so I would anticipate his needs. So he would ask, like, can anybody help me? I'd be like, I already did that. That I'm telling you right now, you want to give your boss whiplash? Make it so they don't even have to ask for help. And they say, hey, can somebody help? It's already been done. Well, I want you to make sure that it's done. Like, yeah, we did it. Exactly like you said. You know, don't have to yell. You know, it's like you start anticipating moves and it helps. I started doing all this pastoral work. I started rating my pastor's messages, being like, hey, put your touch on this. This will work. And we would go back and forth. I remember doing all kinds of work. I loved it. One random day, he walked in and he slid my pastor's license over across the desk. That was the day I became a pastor. There was no grand ceremony, by the way, and I'm a little bit jaded because of it, where the man of God went, in the name of, you know, Pastor Joe, and I would walk different, and I'd be taller, especially taller, but it never happened. And mind you, it wasn't really a raise that I got, it was a piece of paper, but that's ministry, and... uh, but I anticipated his moves, and I became a supervisor. I was supervising other people, and, and, and the day-to-day supervision of my job wasn't there. I could supervise myself because I anticipated his next move. You will never get ahead if people have to hound you all the time and say, did you get that done? Did you get it done? Did you finish it? Is it finished? Huh? Tell me, tell me, tell me. If that is what people have to do for you, you are rendering yourself to mediocrity. On that, don't be an 80 percenter. An 80%er is people that start something and never finish it. You need to finish your work. If you don't finish something, it cannot produce. If you do it 80%, it's not going to be fruitful. Imagine a farmer, and, and, and he works the ground. He's working it all up. He's got his tractor, and he's plowing real straight. And, and then he, he, he fills up his, his drill with all the seed in it. By the way, prepping the, the ground is 70%, 80% of the work. He gets all the seed inside the hopper, and it comes time to put it in, which is the easiest part, and he doesn't put the seed in the ground. Well, let me tell you, you ain't going to get the crop. That's bad English, and it's good preaching. You're not going to have a harvest because you're an 80%er. And I see people that come up to me and say, Pastor Joe, I never thought I'd be at this spot in my life, and I'm working so hard. And that's what I see common with these people. They work very hard. They just don't have the character to finish it. And if you're not a finisher, you will not bear fruit, not in in the sense that you could as part of your calling. Don't be Mr. 80%er. Finish what God has called you to do. I'm talking about the law of the hand. And it will help you to bear rule in this life. Okay, I want to spend the remaining time that we have together really gifting you something. Uh, this was given to me, this, this concept, when I was 18 years old. And it made all the difference in my life. It made it so that Kai and I could weather very modest seasons financially. It made it so in other areas we could experience God's abundance 
And it's something that if you apply it into your life, starting even today, it can be the, the tipping point, the change that you're really looking for. Here it is, unsuspecting verse in the Bible. Maybe you've read over this before. It's in the book of Exodus. The Bible says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Bible says six days you shall labor. Everybody say six days. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall do no work. Now, I could preach a whole message on how some of you need to take a day off every single week, and you will not get ahead until you honor God by having a day of rest. Different message. We might have that pop up some point in abundance, but, but, the, but the truth is, the Bible says, six days ye shall work, and on the seventh rest. There is a whole group of people in our society today, and they take great pride in telling you, we're the people that gave you the weekend and the five-day work week, and they are putting on a big billboard the fact that they have never read the Bible. Because the Bible says, six days ye shall work, and on the seventh rest. Some of you are getting very uncomfortable right now, but let me, let me shed a little light on this. What is the six-day principle? Jot this down. It is investing eight to 10 hours of extra work every single week in order for you to get ahead. Mark me. Take it to the bank. You will not get ahead with 40 hours a week. Won't happen. You might be able to eat, pay bills, have a little bit of an investment. You're not going to get ahead by only working five days. Now, Just to cool the room a little bit, I am not proposing that you necessarily have to work 48 hours at your job. There have been seasons where the church has needed me to work 50, even 60 hours a week, and I'm I'm happy to do it, and I've worked the sixth day here, but there's been other times where I've worked five days at the church. It's the season I'm in right now, and I have a six-day blessing where I can work at my house. I can work on educating myself in other ways, but what I'm describing is you taking initiative in another area of your life to add eight to ten hours of work, of diligence with the law of the hand, and it will produce for you. Many of you in the room are tithers. You honor God with 10% of your gross income. And yet you have said, God, you said that you'd open the windows of heaven and, and pour me out a blessing that there wouldn't be room enough to receive. And Lord, I love you so much. You bless me, but I have room. Like if, if you know, people have this whole debate within the church world, like what do you think about gold dust, right? Showing up in a world. Gold dust, why not gold bars? Let's pay off the church, you know? As you say, well, God, if you were raining down gold bars, I'd get a storage unit. I'd find more space. Like there is still room enough for me to receive it. And you wonder why it hasn't happened. The Bible says, listen to me, this is the breakthrough. He'll open the windows, plural. Many of you have job, you have window. Some of you look at your job as your source, but God is your source. God says he'll open windows of heaven. Could it be that he's maxed out what he can do in this window, and he wants you to open up another window, another opportunity? You see it? You understand what I'm talking about? He wants to bless you. You have to give him opportunity to bless. Okay, we're going to get very practical with this. A couple concepts about what six-day projects could look like for you. Number one, you could work a part-time job. Working a part-time job is a great way to make an investment. You can get ahead. You can maybe pay off some debt working a part-time job. When I was in Bible college, I had an everyday normal job. I worked as much as I could. But on the other end, I flipped cars. 
Now, I'm dating myself a little bit. I flipped them on Craigslist, okay? If I was doing it today, which I don't, I would do it on Facebook Marketplace. But I flip cars. And, and I, I don't know anything about cars. But I would buy a car that had some body damage, and I'd YouTube how to fix it. I'd find a buddy that could help me with maybe a brake job or this one car I bought. Boy, Kai knows which one I'm talking about. I bought it over on Division, uh, really close to the Bell and Bar, right kitty corner from it. And uh, this lady found out that her boyfriend was cheating on her. And it's when this country song came out about, about I, I put my nails into his whatever anyway. And so she took like a pickaxe. And she put, we counted, there was like a hundred different holes all around that body of that car. It was, it was a Grand Prix. Pontiac was a great company until the government got involved. But anyway, I patched up all those holes, and I went over to Mako, and I had them paint it, and I flipped that car. And here's what happened. After flipping car after car after car, I was able to drive for free. I, I made so much money that fuel, maintenance, and including the price of buying a car ended up being I can drive wherever I want for free. The second thing is it put extra cash in my pocket. So when you're in college, especially when you go to Bible college, like it's ghost town in your wallet, okay? So that extra money helped. And then uh, also, like I was in love with Kaya. I wanted to propose to that girl, but I was not going to go into any more consumer debt. So years before this, I had gotten out of debt. I had $60,000 of student loan and credit card debt. And I learned that there's a tax on stupidity. It's called credit card interest, Okay. And so I paid that, I got out of debt, and I was never going to take a car loan, never going to take a jewelry bill, I'm not going to do any of that. So I flipped cars and flipped cars, finally got to my dream car. I wanted a black Jetta. I wanted a four-door Jetta. I just like how they smell on the inside. I like how those Germans put stuff together. It's the only thing they're good at, you know, that and sausage. And, And so I wanted a VW Jetta, and I got it. And it was right at the time where it was like I had an opportunity to buy Kaya's ring. So I flipped that car, bought a jalopy, took the difference, and I paid cash and bought her engagement ring because I like those big old rocks that God made in the earth. I just like, like looking at them on her. I like Kai to be gilded in Jesus' name, but I don't go into debt for any of it. And so what did I do? I had a part-time job. I didn't want to go and, and deliver pizzas part-time. I made up my own thing, okay? So you can do that. That's, that's something that's within your capability. Number two, six-day project. What could it look like? You could work to add value to your home. You adding value to your home, doing, doing some projects around the house, making the house look a little bit better, uh, uh, making some changes in your house can be a great way to extend your financial portfolio. So when Kai and I were moving to plant the church, I had the strong conviction like from God, I was supposed to buy a house in the city limits. Now, I came from Nuego, okay, the country, and God's telling me to live in Nuego, and I didn't know what part of the town was good or bad. And here was my budget. This is 2013. I went to Carla Hutzing. At the time, she was the president of Grand Rapids Realtors, and she took us on just because it was kind of a brother-in-law job. We knew her and the family, and she took us to these house. Here's my budget, $40,000. I want to pay $40,000 for a house. Boy, I tell you what, we went to, as the French would say, the jetto, and, and uh, we, we saw some real boots on the way with a... $40,000. I didn't know. First house. And so she said, would you consider raising your budget? I said, depends. She said, would you pay 50? I said, that's a lot of money. You know, she said, 60. I said, just show me. Well, Kai and I, we weren't looking for the house. Maybe you were looking for. Okay. Typically what people are looking for in a house is whether or not it has shiplap. That's the deciding factor. Oh, it's got shiplap and black features. Oh, let's do that. Let's go. You know, Kai and I don't care about that. We knew about the six-day project. We were looking something we could make an investment in. So we walked to this house, and I knew it was ours. We looked at each other. We came and said, this is awesome. And we're looking at this, and we saw what it could be. But in the meantime, it had dry rock carpet. 
20-year-old paint. It had different carpet in every room. Do you remember when that was in vogue? Neither do I. And so there was Berber carpet in the kitchen. They carpeted the kitchen. Who knows what was growing in there? And the fridge was lime green. It was disgusting, okay? But we looked at it, and Kai and I high-fived. She goes, this is it. Carla's looking at us like we fell out of a boat. And so we said, we're going to make an offer. And we played tennis back and forth. We ended up buying the house. Now, this family was going to have to sell it on short sale. And so our offer was as much as we could qualify for. So we said $69,000. She had to bring $10,000 to close in order to get out of the mortgage. So I figured there's $10,000 in equity in my pocket. And then we begin to look at the house. What are we going to do? So I ripped out all that carpet. And at that time, there was a certain kind of shag carpet that Kaya liked. We put that in. And and in other areas, it had this really nice wood floor. It's super old. The house was built in the 1860s. Had a big stone foundation. It's very cool. A lot of character, big windows. And so we painted and and started to make things look like a, a mixture between anthropology and restoration hardware. That's where we're going, okay? Which is, you know... Uh, ironically, Kai and I's tastes, you know, and so we're trying to do all this stuff. We bought new appliances, not the best ones. I couldn't afford the best ones, but we got some stainless steel appliances. We, we, we covered the Berber that was in the kitchen with a floating floor and, and started to do little things all throughout the house to make it a little bit nicer. We did some landscaping. It was overgrown in some areas and put in some fencing. Now this house had a big deck in the back and it wasn't anything that was terribly comfortable to be around. There's a lot of trees that were just you know, when trees kind of throw up on you all the time. And so I was like, I can't do that. And so uh, we had a friend that had a place out at Sandy Pines. And so I got in touch with one of those rangers, which is the closest thing to a German Gestapo you've ever seen. If you've never been there, you don't know. But I went to Sandy Pines and he said, hey, I'll sell you. I'm getting rid of my trailer. I'll sell you my three seasons room. And we negotiated. I bought a a three seasons room, big one, uh, for $400. 400 bucks. I somehow put that thing on a flatbed trailer. I remember the day it was sultry hot, dragging it across my lawn to put it on our deck. We built a knee wall, built it up. It had a miss a window. And and all of a sudden we had a three seasons room and it was nice. But somebody said, Hey Joe, if you get heating in there and change the flooring out, so it's not just deck, you can actually count that as livable space. Ding. I, I, I've got electric run out there. We did electric baseboard heating. We had a little knob you could put on right next to the light fixture. We put a light out there, and then we put a, a linoleum down over some plywood, and we had a room. I added something like 450 square feet to our house. Didn't have to pull a permit, even legally. <laughs> so anyway, uh, didn't have to do that, and had 450 extra. How many of y'all know God's not making any more land, right? And it's expensive to add on to your house, but we did it for about... $400 for the three seasons room, about seven, $800 altogether added square footage to our house. There was, uh, it was about a 1,300 square foot old, old house, Grand Rapids house, but it was one of these that had five bedrooms, and when it was built, it had an outhouse. So they had to convert a little closet into a bathroom, but it had five beds and one bath. So there was a, a bedroom off from the living room, and I said, Kai, here's what we're going to do we're going to go take those rebates from Menards and we're going to figure out how to get us a bathroom in here. And so we cobbled the thing together, got the plumbing run. I don't know how to do that. I had to save up a little bit of money at a time, but I'd spend my Saturdays or my sixth day and I'd be working on that. And, and finally, we had a bathroom in that house. Two. We had one that was normal and we had this really nice big one, a little bit big for a bathroom, small for a bedroom. We made all of these little investments. I remember I went to an antique store, and I found this uh, wood fireplace mantle. It was so cute. Look all craftsman-like the house. And my buddy, he worked over at a fireplace warehouse. I asked him about how much an electric insert was. 
So I put it all together, and now the house has a fireplace, okay? We got all of these neat little decorations, sconces put up on the wall, made it look cute, made it look like anthropology came in and decorated for us. Now, remember, we had paid $69,000 for it. The church needed a building, and God spoke to my heart, and he said, I'm asking you to sell your house, and I need you to give a tithe and a gift. He told me what it was, uh, and in those proceeds, I need you to give that to the church so the church has a down payment for their building, and I'm so glad I obeyed. After living in it about three, four years, bought it for $69,000, sold it for $160,000. How much did you invest in it? $7,500 over four years. And by the way, guys, all the work I invested in it made mama happy every single project I took on. I'm just saying. You know, even with the church, when we got into the church, this was the old Rite Aid. I chipped up this floor myself. We had somebody uh, put in the, the walls, the studs for the walls, but we pulled wire. We wired some of these boxes. We did the carpentry out there. Many of you in the sound of my voice right now, you put in sweat equity because this church believes in the six-day principle. It's something that works. It works for us, and it'll work for you. Number three, write it down. How do you do a six-day project? Number three, start a small business. I said, Pastor, I don't know how to start a small business. It's okay. You can start small. If you came to my house today and you said, hey, Pastor Joe, for 40 bucks, I will wash the inside and outside of every window in your house, you'd have work today. You went into any old neighborhood around here and said, I will wash your windows inside and out for 40 bucks. I'm telling you, people would throw themselves. They'd be calling people. You'd be trending on X, okay? It'd be a thing. You don't have to go out and get a business license to wash windows, I don't think. And so you just go do that. (laughs) Stick in cash, okay? (laughs) Cut that out for the podcast. Okay, you can mow lawns. Did you know money grows out of the ground? It's called grass. Cut it. A lot of money in it. Do you know money grows on trees? It's called leaves. They're falling. Rake them. Money's in it. this This is not above your dignity. If you're in debt, you can get out of debt. If you cared about it, if you cared. Now, how about this? Uber, you, you, could, you could be a person that drives Uber. You could be a person that has an Etsy shop. I'm saying that there is something six day you could do. While I'm on that, write this down. Take responsibility for your advancement. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I, I rely on God for my next breath. I, I'm not saying we don't hear from God, rely on God. I'm saying Don't rely on your boss and your coworkers to get ahead. You're going to have to be a person that takes your own advancement. There is a deception in culture right now, and that is that somehow God would put your advancement, your calling, your success in the hands of another person. He'll never allow it. If you go out, you and God are a majority, and God can take you places you never thought. Don't think for one second your boss has authority over your prevailing direction in life. He may hold you back for a season, but you can leapfrog him, which I have done with many people I've worked for. You can leapfrog that person because God will not hold you back. You take responsibility. There's different things that you can do. You could go back and get a degree or some sort of education. You could put in sweat equity to your house or into a project. Maybe you don't know this about me. Maybe you might not think this about me. I'm the only one that's ever cut my boy's hair. I cut their hair. Do you know why? Because I can save a little bit of money 
by doing that. It's a worthy investment for me, once every month, every six weeks. I have leveraged my commute for years. I've spent extra time waking up early in the morning so I can listen to audible books, so I can listen to podcasts, so I can listen to seminars and conferences to educate myself. I am constantly putting in equity into myself and into the things that concern me to get us ahead. You see, understand this. Most of my money in my life won't come from ministry. You understand what I just said? Now, we sold that house. And as you can understand, we were sitting on more money than Kai and I really had ever seen. And so we, we were looking at the housing market, but at the time it was inflated. And so it was going to be kind of a, a lateral move of, or even worse. And so I said, okay, what if we built? Kai said, great. Who do, who do we go to? Do you want to go to Sable or somebody? I said, I'll be the general contractor. Now, sometimes I say crazy things that I have <laughs> no business doing. But uh, so we bought a piece of property that we like. We live up in Cedar Rock. We're too good for Cedar Springs, not good enough for Rockford. We're our own thing. <laughs> Bought just under an acre there, and, and Pastor Brian and I cleared that lot. And, and we got all the trees down, and then we, we went off to the races. I designed the house. I didn't go out of a book because, like I told you, I've got that, I've got that thing about me. I designed this church. So I designed the house, and, and so the contractors came. They dug the hole, put the foundation, got it all roughed in. And I did have to ask for a lot of help from a lot of good friends, but we wired it. When it all got mudded, put together with all the trades, uh, I had never done masonry before. I did our masonry fireplace, and I did uh, the trim with a lot of other guys, and, 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 and we needed doors. Well, there was this, this uh, 160-year-old craftsman mansion that they were demolishing, Copper Rock was, and my buddy worked there, uh, Scott Fitzpatrick, and he said, hey, come out here. They're throwing away all these doors. They're solid hardwood doors. So we, we, we got all of us, salvaged those, and all the trim from this house, took them up to Fremont, got them all sandblasted, and I have the, the most cool character in my house. It's shabby chic with all these six-panel doors and everything. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, my, my kitchen came from the ReStore. All my kitchen appliances, $2,500 from the ReStore. We put in everything we could on the sixth day, and I was told at closing we were better than 60% equity onto the value of the house. I'll never be upside down in the house because I invested my sixth day and then some when I was building. Now, we built the world's newest fixer-upper <laughs> because anything that I didn't have to finish or anything I could have done myself, I didn't have to put into the mortgage so I don't have to pay on it multiple times and again. Anything that I was able to put in that had extra space for additional six-day projects, I did that too. The basement's unfinished. Many people are like that. But I had special trusses ordered for my garage so I could add an apartment above it. At this point in the game, that kind of work is in my wheelhouse. I get it, and I'm always looking how I can use my hand, be diligent, and apply my six-day to get ahead. Now, this is something that I have done my entire adult life, but there's someone sitting in your ranks today who's also done this. The Pieri family, Emily and Aaron, and their three daughters now, they started a company several years ago. And this happened because Emily had injured her back and she was pregnant, didn't know what to do, and it started small, like many six-day projects do. She was selling on eBay. She sold these really cool, crafty wood toys that, you know, those, those Pinterest moms like and, and Etsy people like. And she would sell these, and, and she was doing okay, but shipping was just eating up all the profit. 
And so she decided she's going to sell some clothes, and she became a reseller of, of clothes, kind of bought wholesale and sold them, and, and, and in uh, uh, June of 2018, opened an online website where she could sell. It was very, very cool. Now, when she began to do this, it began to take off. It was more than just a six-day project. It took on a life of its own. Now, something you'll find is in the mid-tones, that's when it's the hardest. And from the beginning, she had this dream in her heart that she wanted to have a company really make a difference. And so as she's pursuing all of this, there was a lot of hard days. They moved to Michigan in the season. Uh, in fact, Emily says that when she came to New Chapel and she saw on the wall, welcome home, she started to cry. She was so emotional because of all the change. And, and, and at this time, a lot of that shop had to be put into storage. And so anytime somebody made a sale, she had to go out in the middle of a polar vortex to get a, one thing out of a box that was in the back and ship it, you know, and make it all crafty and everything. And yet God still blessed it. There were days that she wanted to quit as you can understand. In fact, uh, something funny I might end up doing myself is the days that she felt like she was going to quit, she would take that date and she would put it in a note app of her phone and she let it fuel her because she said, someday I'm going to look back and say, thank God I didn't quit then. Thank God I didn't quit then. Something happened when she began to create her own skews, her own patterns, design her own clothes. She was ordering these. She thought it was going to be the end of her, but she felt like God had something more. When she did this, it was the tipping point. In that season, I gave her a word, her and her husband. They were in service. I gave this word to them. I said, God's going to take you national. And afterwards, because I'm not a fly-by-night, hit-and-run preacher, I said, did that resonate? And she said, yes, but it's also a little bit confusing because we're already national. We're sending these boxes all over the nation. I said, there's something there. Let me know. And this last week, she was happy to let me know that that was the moment that they went national in this way. They got into little boutiques all over the United States. They're in Texas. They're all over mid-America. And they're now selling to people who are selling, and it is taking off like crazy. What started, yes. Now, that's not the best part. The best part is they are now profitable. And now that they are profitable, this company has a mission. It's not just us get rich. They're supporting in their proceeds people helping them to get uh, adoption resources to them. They're supporting the, the cause of adoption, helping the cause of life, and it is profitable. In fact, I would encourage you this Christmas, go to addyjoycompany.com. You might should buy something of a gift there. It's a good investment. It is the sixth day at work. It took over and now become their bread and butter, and I'm convinced the whole family in fact, many of you probably will end up working there because God is going to bless the Pieri family, and I'm happy for it. It's the law of the hand. The Bible says that the, the hand of the diligent shall bear rule. i got to wrap this up. Jesus was correcting the disciples when he said in Luke 16, the men of this world in temporal matters act with more business sense than those who have the light. Jesus doesn't want us, the children of God, to be people who don't understand business. We need to be people that rise up in this so we can be that light on a hill to a world that needs to see that our God not only saves our spirit in eternity, but he takes care of his kids today. He opens windows of opportunity. And this is going to come, the Bible says, with witty inventions. You have ideas. Something's been bubbling up in you while I've been preaching. You can't wait to get into the car and talk to your spouse or your friend about it. You can't wait to open that Etsy shop. You need wisdom and diligence. And when you add those things together, you will experience God's abundance. 
I want to pray for you to get some of those ideas right now. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for my church. God, I know in the sound of my voice that there are people that are getting ideas right now. God, I pray that they'd be diligent to see the idea through. God, there's somebody in the sound of my voice. They need to change jobs. They know they need to do it. It might even be overdue. I pray that you'd pave a way forward for them. God, I thank you that you show them the job, show them the opportunity. God, help them to be bold and take that step. God, I know that in my heart right now, there are people that need a breakthrough in their finances. God, they don't know how they can do it in some of the scale that we've talked. Show them how they can do it, God, on their scale. Something that's in their hand that can lead to something in their heart. God, I pray that you minister to your kids. I trust you for it. And God, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, I ask that you'd help me to find them in Jesus' mighty name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for another minute. If you came into this room and you don't know God, here's what I hope. I hope you heard about a God of love. I hope you heard in a financial message that God, yes, cares about eternity in heaven, but he also cares about all those things that concern you. And he wants to take good care of you. He wants to partner with you. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, I want you to pray it with people who are getting right with God right now. Pray this out loud with me. Pray, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin. You raised Jesus from the dead. So with my heart and with these words, I say Jesus is Lord. I surrender my life. God, forgive my sin. Put your spirit inside me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give it up for those people that accept. Come on, church. Let's get excited. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, love you guys. See you next weekend. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.